If you'll turn in your Bibles, please, to John chapter 10. Today we're going to see the fourth of the seven I am statements that Jesus makes in the book of John. We saw that in John chapter 6, he said, I'm the bread of life. So if you're hungry, I'll nourish you. If you're hungry, you'll know you're hungry. And if you're hungry, come to me. That's what he said. Uh, In chapter 8, he said, I'm the light of the world. That if you follow me, you'll not continue to walk in darkness, but you'll live in light. You'll know where you're going. You'll know what the world is, and you'll know what your part in it is, and you'll have the light to see with. And then we saw just last week in chapter 10 earlier, he said, I'm the gate for the sheep, and the sheep come in by me and go out by me. They come in and find safety, and they go out and find pasture. That Jesus is here that we might be blessed, that he's not here to make our lives a misery. He's here to make our lives a blessing. And so we'll see today that he is going to call himself the good shepherd. This is a, this whole uh, chapter 10 is kind of on one theme and he's using this extended metaphor of the sheep and the shepherd. And he's really conveying very deep, very deep spiritual truths about his relationship with his people. There is a relationship that God has through Jesus Christ with his people that is not about um, just some kind of a formality. It's not, it's not um, insurance of any, way, in any kind. It is that God is our God and that we are his people, and that's what he intended it to be. And for us to know that there is no blessing in the world than to be right with our God the way we were meant to created to be. So today, um, we're going to look from verses 11 through verses 21. And I tell you, this is one of the easiest passages to pull three points out from. There's no way that you're not going to, you'll see it like screaming at you. It's like the first thing, the second thing, the third thing. So the first thing I see is that Jesus is going to die for his people. He's going to die for his sheep. The good shepherd's going to lay down his life for his sheep. In the second, the second thing where he says, I'm the good shepherd again, he's going to say that he's going to have a personal relationship, a loving relationship with his sheep, that he's going to love his sheep and that his sheep are, is going to love him, that there is a dear, intimate, loving relationship between Jesus and his people. And then the last is that he's going to unite the sheep that have been all scattered in all these different places and bring together into one fold and he will be one shepherd and we will be one people of his. It's it's one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible. Absolutely beautiful. This is comforting. When your life is shattered, this is comforting. When you're confused, this is comforting. When you've had to say goodbye the last time, this is comforting. To know that Jesus is tender towards you the way a shepherd is, is a beautiful image, but he is going to give you so much more than that. This is not just sentimentality. This is not just a pretty picture. Jesus is telling you something so important here that it will, it'll take you through long days. It'll take you through wonderful days and it'll take you through all the way to the end. I just think it's, it's stunningly beautiful. So let's read it. This is God's word. 
starting in uh, chapter 10, verse 11 through 21. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that's a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catches them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he's a hireling and cares not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and are, and are known, uh, and I am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. No man taketh from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. There was a division, therefore, among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, He's a devil. He's mad. Why are you hearing him? And others said, These are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of a man that was blind? So all of this is in context of the answer to the end of chapter 9, when Jesus said, I am come for a judgment that those who are blind might see, and that those who say they can see might be made blind. And that's, that's very hard to think that God would judge people, but it's absolutely God's right to judge people. We are his creation. We are the sheep of his pasture, Psalm 100 says. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. He has every ability to judge sheep from sheep and sheep from goats, and, and he will judge. But in his judgment, he is so merciful to those who are needy and know they're needy. So the man who was born blind from birth, born blind, by the end of chapter 9 could see. And the, and the Pharisees, knowing that he was really speaking about them, said, oh, are we blind? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you wouldn't have sin. But since you say you can see, the sin remains. Then this whole passage 10 is simply a speech of Jesus directly to the Pharisees based upon what he just said. They just said, are we blind too? And he is showing them, he's changing the metaphor from I am the light of the world so here's a man who's blind who now can see to this idea that I am the way that my people, these sheep that God has always called his people sheep. From the beginning of the Bible all the way through, we are the sheep of his pasture. And for that reason, the shepherd, God, the Lord is our shepherd, is Jesus is putting himself first, the door of the sheep, that we have safety only in Jesus Christ, that we come to the Father through Jesus Christ, that the Father draws all people to him, and the ones that, that, that God gives to him, he keeps, and he will raise them the last day. That's what we saw in, in chapter 6. And now it's the idea that I am the one that they run to for safety and run from to be provided for, that, that there's a freedom, there's a latitude with God, God, that there's a, there's a joy in this journey. We are on this side of the stormy Jordan's banks, but that does not mean that our life cannot be wonderful. 
that God has made it wonderful. And knowing where we're going, knowing what we have, knowing what our God has done for us, allows us to work with energy, to work to have a heart that wants to jump forward into the into the unknown future, knowing that God is in control and that He's the shepherd. But He's a shepherd in a way that is very very surprising, and we're going to look at that. Okay, so so these blessings. The first thing that I see is the good shepherd dies for his sheep. So let's look then then in John chapter ten, starting in verse eleven. I am the good shepherd. <clears throat> the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that's a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. The hiring fleeth because he is a hireling and careth not for the sheep. So I, I'm positive that you have seen this, this picture in the Old Testament of the sheep and the, and the, and the shepherd. This is everywhere. It's, there, there are so many verses that I couldn't even take you. I'd say there's a whole page of references in the Old Testament with this exact picture that Jesus Christ as God, uh, God himself is leading his people. And his people are not commended. Being a sheep is not, being a sheep is really, sheep are dumb. Sheep will put their head in the water bucket and forget to take it out. Like they have to be really, really cared for. Sheep will get lost. Sheep will wander off. Sheep, sheep aren't smart. They, they, they don't flock very much. They, they know that they can kind of be together, but you can easily pick off the easy. You can pick off the young. You can pick off the ones on the edges. Um, they're not very hard. That's why they have to have a protector. And the shepherd is a protector. And so there, you have to remember there's all kinds of these pictures of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, not just the shepherd. There's, there's all these, okay? So I just picked out um, some. Now, I went, I, what I was thinking of as I was meditating yesterday was back when in the chapter 8 when Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He restates it and he said, I'm the true light. And I think that's really cool because that's light. We, we see all of these pictures. I'm the water, I'm the light, all of this. But in, in that passage, he said, I'm the true light which made me kind of think. The idea of being true light is the idea that he's a picture, but it's different from a picture you've already received. Okay? So in John 1, we've already seen this is in the beginning, a year and a half ago, this was the true light. John said this is the true light. Jesus is the light. And he lights every man that comes into the, the world. So he is the light of the world, but John has already said that he's the true light meaning that this picture of light that comes in, that there's darkness and, and shapeless over the void and the Spirit of God hovering over the waters and says, let there be light. Let there be what you can see. Let there be what you can understand. And Jesus is showing that, that Paul in his writings to the Corinthians said this idea that God in our darkness caused his light to shine out just the same way he did on the first day of creation. When he said, let there be light, light was there. When he looks into our deadness and our, and, our, and our complete sinful character, hell-bound as we are, Jesus is light. In fact, that light is the face of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul said. So this image that he's the true light distinguishes him from something in the past. So in the past, you have all of these pictures. You have the pictures of uh, 
throughout the entire Old Testament, either people or events or something that's happened that is a, that is a hint of what the Messiah is going to be or a picture of what the Messiah is going to be. And when Jesus says, one after another, I'm the true, what he's doing is he's going back and he's saying, there was something very temporary that I am actually the true. Or there was something that was failure and I am the real. So when, when, Israel, when Adam was the son of God, and it says at the beginning of Genesis, he's the son of God. Even in the genealogies, when he gets to the end of Matthew, when he, uh, or when he gets all the way, uh, Luke, when he gets all the way to, to Adam, it said, Adam, the son of God, that, that he blew it. Well, Jesus, the son of God, didn't blow it. When Israel was God's son, they blew it. Jesus, as God's son, wasn't. So this idea of true just made me think. So I, I wrote down just a short list. In John 15, which we haven't seen yet, he says, I'm the true vine. And then I just, I, it's so easy to go back and, and Isaiah, the vine that God planted that should produce lots of fruit, ended up just being withered and, and a wild, wild vine. And God was disappointed that Jesus is the true vine that, that God planted. Uh, John 6 says, Verily I say, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gave you the true bread from heaven. So the manna that was on the ground that fed people day after day after day is Jesus. Jesus is our daily bread. When you pray, give us this day our daily bread, it's Jesus Christ that God gives you. I promise you give Jesus Christ to God in worship. He'll accept it because he's pleased. He's pleased with his son. And if you are married to his son, you are perfectly accepted in the holy throne room of God. That is, that's what he is. Uh, Hebrews, I pulled, a minister of the uh, tabernacle, sorry, of the sanctuary and true tabernacle. The, even the temple is Jesus Christ. The tabernacle, where you worship God, is Jesus Christ. All of these pictures is what Jesus actually is. Revelation 3 says, unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, these things saith the amen, the faithful, and the true witness. The true witness the one that can tell you really who God is, the one who with his blood tells you who God is. This is who Jesus Christ is. Well, today it says I am the good shepherd. It's not that I'm the true shepherd because the shepherd all throughout the Bible was Jesus Christ. So it's not that he is the ultimate shepherd because the Lord is my shepherd. That is Jesus Christ is my shepherd. So what he's doing now is he's making a contrast. He's saying, there's all these shepherds that you've seen all of your life. There's all these shepherds you've seen all throughout history, and I'm different from them. He's drawing a contrast to himself. I'm the good shepherd. There's something that I am and something that I do or will do that will distinguish me from all of these other shepherds, and that is that I am the good shepherd. He doesn't say that he's the true. He's he is the person that's casting a shadow into the back, into the history, into the Old Testament. But in this passage, he's basically making a, a contrast between the, the thieves and the robbers. Remember, he said, all that came before me were thieves and robbers, and I am the shepherd. Well, now he is the good shepherd. He's going to contrast himself even more. So if you think of just the picture of a shepherd, a shepherd is there as a protector, a shepherd is the one with the stick. A shepherd is one that will fight off the wolf and will jump in front of a bear. D David 
was able to go before Goliath because God had given him the experience of fighting a lion and fighting a bear and winning because he was the shepherd protecting his sheep. And he was willing to be risk, to risk his life. Jesus is not just willing to risk his life because Jesus is going to say, I lay down my life for the sheep, not like the hireling. So who are the hirelings? The people that were guarding God's people for a paycheck and the ones who would immediately run if there was any danger at all. That was the hirelings. To be a hireling is the worst of all insults to someone who, whose heart is, thine be the glory, great God. May Jesus Christ be glorified in this place. Oh, and make sure I get my payday on time. That idea that you would do something as long as something else is done. God wants something different. God is showing you that he is the giver and that you have the most strange picture of all, and that is that the shepherd is laying down his life for the sheep. It's not the sheep laying down their lives for the shepherd, and that was the case all throughout history that, that he's making a comparison a, comer, a comparison to. So um, some people think that Jesus died as an example, and, and I just think that that is pretty gross. The idea that Jesus would die like he was jumping off the building, I love you. It's like, like I'm going to give myself just to show you that I love you. I'm sorry that there's a, something crazy about that. Okay? I wrote down something a little disturbing. I think you might giggle, but did you ever hear that Vincent Van Gogh sent his girlfriend his ear in the mail? Like, I love you. Like, you're twisted and really warped, and I don't want to ever see you again. That idea that, that Jesus would die as an example isn't what God did. Jesus died because there was no other way for us to be rescued. He didn't just, he wasn't willing only to risk his life. He came that he would give his life. That is different. That is different from a, from a hireling. No hireling would do that. You don't on purpose say, the purpose of my life is that I would give myself completely so that you might be benefited. But that is what our God did. When you look into the face of what your God did, it will change you. I promise it will change you. You cannot look at what your God did and be unmoved unless you are not one of his sheep. There is no other example. He was telling these, these Pharisees, the reason why you do not listen to me, the reason why you oppose me, is because you are not mine. My sheep hear my voice. I heard the voice of Jesus say, and not everyone hears it. And you have stopped your ears yourself, and not only are, are they stopped, they're diseased, and not only are they diseased, you're going na 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 so you cannot hear because you're on purpose sending yourself to hell. Well, when God does something for you, he has the power to shatter your life, shatter you. You can look into what Jesus did, and everything about you just falls into water because you can't imagine that. Why would the sheep be the one that the shepherd lays down his life for. It makes no sense, except that that's God's will. Jesus three times in this passage said, it is my Father's will that this happened. This is how, this is his plan, that you are going to be, you are going to be benefited because I came for you. And even though you do not understand what the Messiah is, you think the Messiah is a political guy or whatever, you're totally not sure, well, I tell you, I'm coming as a good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So 
I just, I just sat and thought. I said, okay, if I were a shepherd, why would I be a shepherd? I told you that there was a guy trying to talk me into buying some sheep. And I was like, what's the benefit? Why would I work an extra 40 or 50 or 90 hours a week to do it? It would be for profit. There wouldn't be any. I wouldn't do it because I love sheep. I would say, can they benefit me? Can I sell their beautiful little sweet bodies for meat? And will someone buy it? And w- would I have the guts, guts to hack them to death? I mean, that, all those thoughts happen. And, or I'm going to shear them and sell them for wool, and someone's going to knit socks out of their hair. A sheep is a commodity. It's like a cucumber or an iPhone. It's something you sell for profit. It's not something that you give your life for. And God of heaven and earth, who's holy, 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 and not like us, came to die for us. That blows my brains. I can't even imagine why. Why would God do it? There is a love in his heart that cannot be understood by us. We will perceive it. You will see it when you see him. You will see that love that will pour out of his heart towards you, and he really does love you. It's not just a toleration. He loves you, and he has done everything. He has fought for you. He put his life not just at risk, but laid down his life that you might be benefited. He is different than all the other shepherds, and you are different than a cucumber to him. And that... Sometimes you have to tell yourself that more than once. You have to say, it's not my value. It's that I am valued. It's not that I have value. I don't have intrinsic value. God valued me. It was his death for me that made me valuable. It's not because I'm valuable he said, okay, well, I'll trade my life for you. There is nothing in me that would cause that to happen. It's what's in him. That's why I have confidence. I do not have confidence that we are good enough that we can live this life and and succeed and then go to glory. I don't have confidence. We are not good enough to do that. There's not one of us that could, with all the self-discipline in the world, could not do it. But what God has done for us would get all of us there. Not one of us could go, does have to be lost. Not one. He could get us all there because I'm looking into what Jesus did. And Jesus is the champion, not me. But my faith is not in me. My faith is in Christ. And that is what he is saying. I'm good. I'm different. The rich young ruler said, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus was like, why are you calling me good? I don't know if that's ever stopped you. Have you ever stopped and go, well, he is good. Why would he say, why are you calling me good? Because Jesus knew that that man didn't know that he was good. But he is good. He's good in different way than all other people are good. If you are good in any approximate way of having a character like Jesus, praise God, he's worked in your life. Praise God, he's worked in your life. Now, I think it's interesting that God is an upside-down world again. I'll never forget that. That'll be in my head for the rest of my life. It's an upside-down world that the shepherd is giving his life for his commodity that he's laying down his life that the sheep might be rescued, not fleecing the sheep that he might be luxurated. He, that's not. And especially in Israel. It's not just that these people lived in a time and a place where, where animals and things were done, that that was wealth. Israel was different in the idea of, of sheep because 
there was something when God established the law through Moses. He was teaching these people who knew nothing about him. You have to realize that the Israel knew as little about God as the Egyptians knew about God. And as God was teaching them about him and he's giving his law, the way you approach God is by sacrifice. That you would take an animal and you would watch that animal to where it'd have to be flawless, and then that animal, once it's worthy to be your victim, you trade places with it. You would bring the whole first chapter of Leviticus is just stunning. You could preach the gospel from Leviticus chapter 1 with no problem at all. You take your valued lamb that you watch yourself and you bring it to the door of the, ta- of the tabernacle and you put your hand on its head and you push down on its head till his knees buckle and then you cut his throat and you bleed him out right there and then you take the blood and you offer the blood as a poured out offering on the side of the altar. That sheep died in your place. That sheep was identified when you pressed hard on it. You were saying, you are about to die so that I don't have to die. And there were thousands of millions of sheep that died as a result, lamb after lamb after lamb. I wrote down a short list just from memory. I didn't even dig for this. So it's, I'm sure there's a thousand more I've missed. This is, what I rem- this is what I wrote down. All of the following required a lamb to die. Anyone who inten- unintentionally sins. You sin, you do something wrong, and you didn't know it. By the way, there's nothing in the law of Moses for I meant to do it. Are you glad that the law of Jesus is different from the law of Moses? When you meant to sin, Jesus can forgive you for that sin. When you meant to sin, there was nothing but but banishment from the people of Israel. According to the Old Testament law, it was only those things that you didn't mean to do that you could be cleaned for. But you had to kill a lamb to do it. And then anyone who has personal or corporate guilt for your sins that not only did I sin that has to be paid for, but I have guilt that's still in my heart, that's still there, that's still weighing me down, that has to be paid for with the blood. Anyone who wants to devote themselves to God and draw close to him, you had to kill a lamb. God, I love you. You had to kill a lamb. God, I want to thank you for something. You did something wonderful in my life, and I want to say thank you. You had to bring a lamb and kill that lamb, and that's how God would accept your thanksgiving. And some people would scratch their heads and say, what? You mean God would require a a sacrifice so that you could say thank you? Yes. You are not good enough to approach God. God is clean and you're not. God had to be approached with blood. I said any time that anyone is consecrated to God's service, it required a lamb to die. Any time that anybody was healed of a disease, you had to have a lamb to die. Every time there was a festival where everybody in the country was drawn together, you had to kill a lamb all day, every day, for the whole festival. Every... Morning, lambs had to die. Every evening, lambs had to die. Every month, lambs had to die. Every year, lambs had to die. And so when the angels come on the night that Jesus was born, they came to the shepherds. Do you realize that Jerusalem is five miles from Bethlehem? Five miles. Those sheep were in the fields having lambs. That's why that the shepherds were there. There's no reason for them to stay all night every night. They, they could have put them in a pen and guarded them, and not. but they were lambing. They had to be all over the place. They were in the fields, and the angels split the sky open, and they told the shepherds, do you realize that they 
weren't just telling the shepherds. They were telling the sheep. Those sheep were the ones going to Jerusalem. Those sheep were the ones that were going to die at Passover. Josephus says that at one, in the year 4 B.C., it, the one Passover celebration, 4 B.C. was the time Jesus was born, 250,000 lambs were killed on Friday night or right before twilight on Friday before the Passover. A quarter of a million sheep in, before B.C. We're talking about in those days. That is required to get you to Jesus, to God. And Jesus came to be that lamb. This is the good shepherd who is the lamb. He's not just the light. He's not just the water. He's not. It's a picture of something so big that it takes a million pictures. And you're not even close to understanding who your God is and what he had done. I just said what he done. What he done for us. It's absolutely stunning. It's stunning to me. I, I come to the word propitiation, and Aaron will giggle. What a big word. You have to realize that the lamb's blood atoned for sins. And I know that that's a bible word. Atonement just means covers. Covers. So on the, on the day of atonement, the first day of the year, the priest goes in... T- they kill, they kill the animal, they put a, a gold ball, bowl full of his blood, and he goes in one time a year into the Holy of Holies, and the Ark of the Covenant is the only thing in the room, and the, the glory of God is above this gold lid, and the, the law of God is in the box, and all day long the glory of God is looking at the law, And we would have to die. According to that law, we would have to die. But the priest took that blood and poured it on the top of the lid of that box so that God would would look at the blood instead of looking at at the law. And that's an atonement, a covering. But you have to realize that had to happen over and over again. What's with the lambs? What's with the every day and every month and every year and every time anybody sinned and every time anything happened? They had to be recovered, recovered, recovered. It was the idea that you have to cover yourself. You have to, be, you have to hide behind a fig leaf just like Adam did, that you're not safe. You're naked and exposed before God who you have to deal with. And there isn't anything to do, but God said, I'll cover it. I'll cover you. I'll cover you. But you must, you must again and again and again, the lamb, the lamb, the lamb. But Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. But that's the good shepherd is good because he himself didn't just atone for our sins. He expiated our sins. They're gone. There's nothing there. It's gone. When I say it's gone, there's nothing to see. There's nothing to look for. There's nothing on your record against the holiness of God. He has nothing against you because all of it was taken. When Jesus, the lamb, died on the cross for us, all of God's wrath did not just divert like a ricochet. God gave it all to Jesus, and he drank it to the very dregs. He drank the the leaves on the bottom of the juice cup. And he took every drop of God's wrath that would be against us, and he took it away, and he diverted it. So propitiation means that God was satisfied. He, there's no more wrath. 
Every drop of wrath is gone. God couldn't destroy you if he wanted to because he doesn't want to because there's nothing he has against you because Jesus took it. So when Jesus was our lamb, the Bible says he's our propitiation. This is Romans chapter 3, 25. Whom God set forth, this is Jesus Christ, whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. So I'm like, okay, better understand propitiation. Propitiation means exactly what was against us. He's the propitiation so that he's, the, he's exactly the pay. He's the ransom. He's the one that, that diverts God's wrath because it, he took it. And there's nothing left. It's the atoning sacrifice that is once for all. There's no lambs dying day after day after day for millions and millions and millions. It's done once. He dies once. He doesn't die every time that you have the mass. He dies once, and it's done, and you're forgiven, and it's finished. That was the most important day in history, in cosmic history. And it, he doesn't just, he's not just the mercy seat. He's not just the gold lid that the blood was poured on. He is the blood that totally turns away God's wrath from you. He died for his sheep. The second thing I say is the good shepherd has a loving, intimate relationship with his sheep, and they have a loving, intimate relationship with him. This is verse 14, back in chapter 10. I'm the good shepherd and know my sheep, and I am known of mine. Which makes you blush. Do you know what the Bible word for know is? Do you know what to know someone in the biblical sense means? It is an intimate, intimate, intimate expression. And it's the same expression. Matthew 125. And he knew her not till he, she brought forth her firstborn son. That is what no means. No is the deepest form of intimacy. It is knowledge that is bathed in safety and love and, and no threat. It is, it is understanding fully and being able to give yourself fully with the idea that you will be protected because of love. So I could simply use this word as love, but it needed to be bigger than the word love. The, lo the word love can't hold that meaning. So this is the idea of I know my sheep and they know, and I'm known of my sheep. They know me and I know them. Now, if that were the only verse, your mind could easily just go on. But he goes then and says, it's exactly like I know my father and my father knows me. That very saying, you want to know what know my sheep and my sheep are known of me. My, I'm known of my sheep. It's exactly the same as I know my father and my father knows me. So, so somehow you have to realize that God knows certain people and doesn't know others. And that's a little bit hard because you have this concept, which is totally true, that God's omniscient. He knows everything. But for God to use this word is different. This is from Amos chapter 3, one of the prophets, Joel's middle name, third middle name. You, you only have, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you of all your iniquities. You whip your own kids, right? You don't whip the neighbor's kids. Boy, I'm glad. There'd be a lot of whipping. Because I know you, because I love you, because I intimately related to you, 
I'm going to hold your feet to the fire. That's what, that's what Amos was, was telling here. Okay? So when you get back to John 6, I had to pull this back because we've seen it before, but this is the echo. This is an echo of what we've seen. This is John chapter 6. All that the Father give me shall come to me. And to him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is my Father's will which sent me. Of all that which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up the last day. So, do you see? I can't brag on that. For me to look into the face of Jesus Christ and recognize what I see, I can't be applauded for that. I simply say, he's worthy to trust. I trust him. That's not me. That was a gift that God gave of me, and that's an intimate love, and I love him for it. I love him. You love the Lord. It's not just fear. There's healthy fear, but it's not just fear. It's not just dread. It's, it's, it's absolute love. And then just as I said, this is 1015. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. It's not just that it's the same, that my intimacy between me and my people are the same as my intimacy between me and God. First of all, that would melt the floor in terms of just how amazing that statement is. That's amazing what he just said. That your relationship with me is the same as my relationship with the Father. That same kind of intimacy, same kind of, like, the same heartbeat. The same heartbeat. That is, that is what I am with my people and will grow in you forever and ever. You will be better in a hundred years, better in a million years. In terms of loving God and, and knowing him and, and recognizing that intimacy. And he's saying it's the same. So it's not just the alike, it's the foundation. Your foundation of you having a relationship with God is the same as Jesus having a relationship with God because Jesus has a relationship with God. And they think the same. They're exactly the same on every issue. There's no difference. Whatever you see in Jesus, that's what you see in God. When you see the compassion of Jesus, when you see the, the nth degree of keeping on going and just labor and love of what you see in Jesus Christ, you're looking at your God. That's what God is. They are shared. They share the same thoughts and mind in terms of that. It's the same. I, w- I did want a warning, there, and I put a warning. If there's no love relationship, there's no knowledge. If there isn't a loving relationship, if you don't love God that well, if you whatever, whatever, I, 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 would, I would be afraid. This is the scary verse. This is Matthew 7. And then I will press, profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. They just said, we preached in your streets. We did miracles. We did da-da-da-da-da-da. Look, look at our list. And he goes, I never knew you. I who know everything, I, knew, I am not omniscient God, know everything, never knew you. Because you didn't have a loving relationship with me, and I never had a loving relationship with you. I know who you are, but I don't know you as as I know my people. It's terrifying. Let's go on to the last one. The good shepherd unites his sheep. This is John 10, 16. Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, 
and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. It's all through. It's all through. God said to Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All because of you. Through you, through your seed, actually, interesting, your one child, as you, one of your descendants, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. This is Isaiah 49. I didn't write it down, Josh, sorry. It just, the Messiah is the light to the Gentiles. To them who sit in darkness, a light has shined. He's a light to the Gentiles. The Messiah is, is a light not just to his people, but to the, for, to the nations. Gentiles just mean all the foreign nations. Everything that's not Jewish, Jesus will be a light to them. <clears throat> Matthew 28, I wrote down. Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth is given to me. You go and make disciples of all nations. All nations. There's nobody not included. All of, I will have one fold and one people, and I will be one shepherd to them. And there, there was a wall. You have to remember, when Jesus drove out the, the money changers, it was in the plaza of the Gentiles. It was in the court of the Gentiles, a huge court, and then a wall. And the Gentiles could get no further towards God. They could say, oh, God, you're great, and I'll stand at a distance and tell you. But if you were a Jew, you could go through another arch, and there would be a closer relationship with God. You could go closer. The Gentiles weren't allowed. And Paul says in Ephesians, this is chapter 2 in Ephesians, Wherefore remember that you, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands, at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of the promise, having no hope, without God in the world. But now in Jesus Christ, you who are sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. He's our peace, who hath made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. There's no wall. You, with no Jewish heritage at all, have the promises of Abraham the same because a child of Abraham has the faith like Abraham had. He knew his God and trusted his God and obeyed his God. And if you are like that, you are the same. You're one of his children. This is back to chapter 10, is verse 17. Therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up. This is commandment I have received of my Father. I wrote down one thing. Love and obedience can't be separated. It can't. Not love. Love and obedience is, is together. You can't, otherwise, it's a manipulation. Love and obedience to, to your Father is the, it's the same. So do I love him intimately? Well, Jesus said, this is why God loves me. That This is Jesus Christ saying this. God loves me because, dot, 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 I laid down my life. Well, what does that mean? He obeyed him. He was sent to be the atoning sacrifice or the propitiation for our sins. And for that reason, God loves him. It wasn't conditional. It's the fact, because I obey him, because I love him, that's the same. This is 1 John 2. Hereby we know that we know him. Do you see the word know? We know that we know him. I like that. Know that you know that you know. If we keep his commandments, how do you know that you know Jesus? You obey him. Because that love that is intimate love, that knowledge that's intimate love, is your response is obedience. That's what happens. 
He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, he's a liar. Truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his words, in him verily the love of God is perfected. Perfected, meaning brought to completion. You love God the same way he loves you. What? You love God the same way he loves you? Yes, because that love is from God to God, through God. All things are God's. And that love comes from God and does something in you and pulls back from you to himself. And as he does that, he reconciles you to himself. That's what happens. Lastly, of course, the end of the chapter, there was a division, therefore, among the Jews for these sayings. Many said, he is a devil. He's mad. Why hear ye him? Others said, these are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can the devil open the eyes of a blind? Everywhere Jesus went, there's controversy. Same, same. Same now, same now, everywhere he goes. Do you love him? Do you know him? Do you hear his voice? Do you follow him? He's a good shepherd. Amen.